This is St. Joachim's Church in uh, Costa Mesa. I was raised Roman Catholic, and uh, I uh, went to school there as well through elementary ages. And uh, as our kids were up here today, I I just think about, you know, God made us to worship. He built us to worship. The things inside of us were made to be worshipers. And so we learn worship somewhere. Well, this is where I learned it. That's that's Father Nevin. When I was little, I thought that guy was Jesus. And uh, uh, he was the closest thing to Jesus when I was young. He had an Irish accent, Father Nevin. And uh, he, he would pray the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. And he had just an amazing voice, but a fatherly spirit. He would come and visit us in the classrooms. And I was an altar boy back then with my twin brother. So we, we, uh, we were part of, I was in mass a lot when I was young, probably a couple times a week, and I learned about worship there, and I learned about reverence. I learned some things just about, you know, when we, when we talk about the tabernacle over the last few weeks, there's some implementation of those things that are even reflected in liturgical churches, the, some of the, the showbread, the uh, time to, you know, it, with the Eucharist, a sacred time with the Eucharist. There's, there's things that were implemented that helped deposit in me the idea of worship. So when I hear our kids come up this morning, I think, well, that's kind of cool. It's cute, and they have fun, and there's, you know, you see those personalities come out, a few of them, and, uh, and so that's all really neat, but a lot of these kids around here are learning to worship here, and worship's going to be part of their life, hopefully, forever. Now, what changed for me is I started out around the altar, but that view in the church from the back looking forward, that's that's kind of where I ended up. I was in the choir loft with my friends messing around looking forward at the church. And little by little, my devotion moved from the front to the back. My heart for God moved from the front to the back. I, I kind of more drifted from him than grew, grew close to him as I went into my teen years. And then at about 16, I decided that just I saw the hypocrisy in my own life, hanging out in the choir loft and no longer really singing, no longer really worshiping, but just going through motions and kind of detached myself from worship to God. Even in the Catholic Church with their rituals, there's, there's still things that time to time God would touch me, God would speak to me. And then so I went from, you know, early age four when we moved there till I was 16, then went from Catholic to heathen. And I became a really good heathen for a few years, or a really bad heathen. And at 21, received Jesus as my Lord and Savior through Calvary Chapel. And that's where I really learned to worship. Well, here's where the Jews learned to worship. This is what we've been talking about the last few weeks. God implemented this tabernacle in the wilderness. He put in different articles, different object lessons, so the Jews would learn to worship. And he established that with Moses when he was laying out the law and order and, and how to raise them up, grow them as a community, how to be the people of God, how to follow him, to know him. He did it through symbolism. He did it through uh, instruction that they would be a people after God's heart. And so that's where we ended up last week. And I was going to go a little deeper behind the Holy of Holies and talk more about what was in the articles or in the tabernacle itself and the Aaron's rod and all that. But the Lord this week, especially uh, Friday, Saturday, began just to deal with me 
more about this side of the cross, the New Testament side. And sometime I'd like to go back historically deal with that, but there was an urgency as I was thinking about worship this week in the needs of your life and my life, how to connect with God. In the, in the season we're coming into, even the season that some of us are in, the ability to connect with God is so important. Amen? To, to stay filled is so important. Amen? To, to stay tuned in, to stay hearing from God is so vitally important in this season. Amen? And so I want to move us a little bit beyond just some of the ritualist, ritualistic things in the tabernacle and, and come through to God's intent for us in the New Testament in some of the ways that we can stay connected still and need to stay connected to Him. It's, it's crazy times. It's this turbulent times. You just We can just look in many different directions and say just the, the instability of it, it's just tumultuous. And so the ability for you and me to stay connected to him has got everything to do with our success, our prosperity, our growth as believers, our maturing, our, our being completed in Christ. Being able to stay connected to him in worship is so, so, so vitally important in this season that I hope, I hope we get it. I hope we pursue that. Amen? So here we are in Hebrews 8 and I just encourage you to read like Hebrews 7, 8, 9. It's got to do with tabernacle and Jesus' completion of that and, and uh, the New Testament interpretations of things about the tabernacle. So I've just got a few quotes out of, about that this morning, moving us from that Old Testament pattern into the New Testament intention that the Lord had, and we're going to just dig in a little bit there this morning. So as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, he, God, said this, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. And so he did that. And we've looked the last few weeks at how just the, the intricacies of what was put in the tabernacle, the pathway forward coming through the eastern gate, one way in through the gate, how they'd stop at the brazen altar and sacrifice. And if you haven't been with us, we, we have a couple CDs that would explain that. But we looked at the order that God established, the order of worship in their hearts. But here, the writer of Hebrews says this. Moses was given this pattern on the mountain. And verse 6 says, but he... But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he's also the meteor of what? A better covenant which was established on better promises. And so the ritualistic sacrifice of the Old Testament, some of those principles still hold true, but the, the ritual part of it has passed away. Now we have a better covenant based on better promises. Aren't you glad for that? And millions of lambs have said, hallelujah, no more sacrifice for us. Oxen and, and the things that went on perpetually. Now we have a new covenant based on better promises because of what Jesus did. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and cows, but with his own blood. He entered into the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So we can be glad for that, amen? That his blood, his, this more perfect tabernacle, now it's not a physical structure. Now we've become the tabernacle. Now we're the temple of God. His spirit reigns in you and me corporately. And that's huge. And that's important for us to understand and to grow in. This, this is what happened on the cross. Here he is, Jesus, hanging on the cross. Here's our symbol of it. And as a Roman Catholic, uh, an altar boy, I used to stare at the cross for, really, for years and see the crucified image of Christ hanging on the cross. 
But what happened at the cross? And our worship on the other side of the cross is so important because this is what happened. He's hanging on the cross. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And then behold, that veil, the veil that kept the priest, the high priest on the inside, the regular people on the outside, that veil was ripped in two. From top to bottom, scripture says, and the earthquake, the rocks split, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Wow, a display of God's power. When he said, I'm not going to just stay in a tent anymore. I'm out. I'm going to be amongst the people. That, that veil that they erected was about 30 feet wide, was almost the, the width of our platform here, and it was probably 30 feet high, but they said it was four inches thick. I mean, have you ever just tried to rip like just a t-shirt? Well, this one would rip pretty easy. It's thin, but just in ripping cloth, this thing was four inches wide. It was tough. I mean, you know, tons of material just they're dragging through the desert and establishing this the separation between God and the, the Holy of Holies and the common people. And here in one act at the crucifixion, Jesus cries out, it's finished and that thing is ripped wide open. And now we're the tabernacle of God. Now his Holy Spirit's in us. We're, we're filled with the promise of the Father. I hope a couple people get that this morning. That you're, tell your neighbor, you're the temple of God. You're the temple of God. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God within us. That was the goal of the pattern. Now, does, does the worship change? No, I'm the temple of God. So now I still have to get things right as I'm moving through my worship. I still come in through the gate with thanksgiving and praise. I still have to check my heart if there's ought or if there's offense or those things in me. I, I still have to get cleansed and washed that way. Those, those principles still apply, but now I have to understand on this side of the cross, the Holy Spirit's in me. And for me to stay connected with God, and one of the tools is worship. One of the ways we do it is worship. For me to stay connected with God is so vital in the season we're in, to learn how to tune into the frequency of what God's saying and to reflect that back just in thanksgiving and build relationship and keep relationship with him is so vital in the day we're living in. Do you believe that, church? You got access now to the throne of grace. Tell your neighbor that. You can come to the throne of grace. You, you can come in. It's not about just your... your only being a high priest, only qualifying, you have access. This is what scripture says in Hebrews. Excuse me, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, do what? Let us hold fast our confession. Say it again. Let's hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, what, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I don't, you know, it's not my place to judge people's hearts in worship. I just can see with my eyes when I look around and see how it looks that some people connect and some people kind of stand there, hello, hello, hello. And, and, and sometimes you just wonder, like in worship, do, do you see yourself coming into his presence? Do you sense yourself coming before the throne of grace? Do you sense yourself being, being able to just with your spiritual imagination to see him, to worship him, to connect with him? Getting through all the stuff of the week and all the clutter of the week and all the frustration and haughty opinions and all those things that start rising up and pride, all that stuff that creeps up that sometimes be, puts the wall, the, 
veil back up. Can, can you see that being ripped down in worship when you're before him? Because he wants to stay in you and, or be connected to you. He wants us to be cognizant that he's in us. He wants us to live in the reality. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. And so in, in worship, I can come boldly in. I don't have to crawl my way up. Praise God. I don't have to go, just come through that, that single gate and, and make that sacrifice and, and stand there for however long it takes for a sheep to burn. I don't have to do that. I don't have to wait in line just to cleanse myself at some labor, labor now or wash myself. In my mind, I do those things, but now I can come boldly. Say boldly. I can come boldly to the throne of grace. I'm invited in to come for help. I'm invited in to come for wisdom. I'm invited in to come when just, just Lord, I need strategies. God, or I just need a, a, a dose of your grace, some discipline here to get some of these things done. Lord, help me. I'm, I'm invited to come boldly in. And so in our worship time, you know, I, I hope you have a worship time apart from our 30 minutes together on Sunday mornings. I hope there's just, and it doesn't always just have to be you know, a structured time of music and you singing karaoke. It's, 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 not, it's not about that. It's a heart that's connected. And I feel like the urgency, instead of unpacking the historical things this week, the Lord just was saying, just to remind us that we need to stay connected to him. It's a, it's a way he's given us to, to stay in communion with him, to stay filled by him, that now we're his temple. Now he wants to abide in us in a greater and a, a more, just an increased measure. You've probably seen these t-shirts around, but that the, the, the he must become greater and I become less. That's the approach we have in worship when we look at the definition and we will. Worship means to lower ourselves under, to come under him. Worship really means to be prostrate before him, to, to, to prostrate ourselves, to, to um, just bow down before him. We'll look at some of those definitions. But in worship, my problems, everything that's become big, everything that's blown up, all the things that have been just screaming in my ear about need attention or need fixing, all that stuff, when I come in worship, I just lower before him and let him be God, let him be big in my heart and mind and those other things come underneath his name and who he is, amen? The season the church is in, in Isaiah, I want you to read this with me. Come on, it's Isaiah 61, read this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. And uh, well, I'll come back to that. But this, this idea that in the season we're in, as things get more unstable and things get more unsteady, God's joy, God's delight, God's plan was that his glory would be upon us. Not just in a little tabernacle somewhere, but now his, his glory's in a billion tabernacles all over the world. And you and me are called to reflect that and to be filled with that and to make a difference in lives around us. Do you believe that? that this revival that's going on in parts of the world and it's increasing here, it's a worship revival. There's, in Ezra's time, there was a revival of the Word of God, and we saw that in the 80s, 90s, the revival around the Word of God, and that has not changed. It's not like one comes and the other one gets pushed away. No, the Word of God and confessing the Word and declaring the Word and faith in the Word, those things are still vital. They're so important to stay filled with the Word of God, but around the world, this, this revival that's coming is the 
God's manifest presence of showing up, the glory of the Lord appearing as people worship him, as people are in his presence. God needs you and me to be able to be carriers of that presence wherever we go. Where there's darkness, we become light because we've been in his presence. Because we've been with him, because we've filled with him. When I can talk or speak, there's something on it or with it or, or upon it because I've been with God. And that's what the world needs, amen? The glory of the Lord displayed and manifest through you and me. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Anybody remember this song, I've Got a River of Life Flowing Out of Me? Well, how many believe that song? How many believe that you have a river of life that can flow out of you? I think it was 93, I went to Bolivia, the mountains of Bolivia. That's when um, Tim Morbitzer was uh, leaving Agape, and he asked me to be senior pastor. But I had already bought tickets to go to Bolivia, because I was praying about moving our family there and working with some families that are church planters. And so I get up in the mountains of Bolivia, and the different uh, Bolivian teams are there, and there's Quechuan and uh, a couple of different dialects. And so one night, they all get up and they start singing their songs in their own language. Some were singing in Spanish and Quechuan and Aymara. And, and so they asked me and Tim to get up and sing something in English. And so this is what we sang. It wasn't very, uh, you know, we would have never made the voice, that's for sure. But, but we, we sang this song because I believe this song. I got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. It opens prison doors. It sets the captives free. I got a river of life flowing out of me. And then you prophesy to yourself, spring up a well within my soul. Spring up a well and make me whole. Spring up a well and give to me that life abundantly. That song comes from the other side of the cross, the, the, the side that Jesus has paid the price. The veil's been rent. He wants to live in us and through us and pour his life out upon others because of us or in us. Amen? And so the idea, even in worship, so we're singing to God and we're singing lyrics and we're talking about I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. And, and, and the songs that we sing, some are from one side of the cross that recognizes our need for him. Some are coming through the tabernacle and saying, God, I, I've sinned and I just confess my sin and I, I ask you cleanse me today again. But from that veil ripped in two and we step across the veil and we come into his presence in boldness and we come into the, the Holy of Holies and we come to this throne of grace and then we begin to declare, this is who I am in you and this is why you brought me forward. Lord, I worship you that there's this river that's in me. I worship you, God, that people can be healed because of your grace and your glory in me flowing through me. Lord, that's who I am and I worship from that side of the cross. And I worship established on and what he wants to do. I worship based on looking forward from his perspective down and say, God, what do you want to do in the earth? What do you want to do in this community? And I worship him for those things, for the fullness, for the, the plan, for the purpose of God. Does that make sense this morning? And so as, as I was praying about just, you know, again, going through the historical components of the, the veil, the historical components of the tabernacle, this, this box that they hauled, through the wilderness. I just felt the urgency in my spirit that the people of God, we can't grow complacent in our worship. You and me, we can't grow complacent because we've done this week after week. We can't just grow complacent when we, in our time that we can connect with him in a busy world with a busy life. We can't neglect the need to connect with him, amen? That this river of life wants to go through us. See, there's a battle for your worship. You've been made to worship. You've been designed by God to worship. 
it's in your heart to worship, you're going to worship something. And so if we're not teaching our children to worship him, they're going to worship something. And in, in Jesus' temptation here in Luke 4, we just get back to the basics when he, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He returns from the Jordan and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. There, there's people in our church being sifted right now. They're standing against physical symptoms. They're standing against attacks on their marriage. I know this, uh, attacks financially. And there's, there's testing that comes. And the devil taking them up on a high mountain showed them all the kings of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I'll give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. It was delivered to him in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. The, the devil became the authority structure in the earth. His, his sway, his influence is in the whole world. And he says, for this has been delivered me, and I give it to him ever I wish. Verse 7, therefore, Satan saying to Jesus, if you'll worship before me, all will be yours. But I like Jesus' response. He answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord God, and him only you shall serve. When, when you think about the word worship, and I do, I'm probably not cognizant that I'm worshiping other things sometimes. I'm probably not cognizant that I'm giving place to other things higher than I would to God's word or higher to what I would to God's authority or what God said. But the truth is we do, and it's one of the oldest tricks in Scripture to get you worship and other stuff. I still remember when my back was messed up and I was struggling with sciatica on and off for a year and a half, and, and uh, it was one of the times when it was so intense, and I'm laying on the floor, and I don't know, the doctor gave me, uh, forget what they're called, somas, and then Vicodin both, and so I'm not a big drug user. I was wiped out, zapped, laying on the floor. And I was, I was just crying out to God. I said, God, this, this can't be your plan. You can't be your will. And I heard his voice so clearly. He, he said, you can't drink from the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils at the same time. Quit fellowshipping with the enemy over this. Quit fellowshipping with the enemy. Because in my mind, I started going over and over because of the pain and what was happening. And, and you know, you start feeling sorry for yourself. And I can't do this. And just whiny and complaining. And the Lord just spoke to me. He said, you can't fellowship with the enemy. You can't fellowship with me over the same thing. So essentially choose. So I got up and I took communion. And, and I wish I could say the pain went away right then, but it didn't. But I tell you what, in the next few weeks, next couple of months, I got a strategy forward where now they said, no golf, no volleyball. I said, baloney, those are the things that I like. So all that, and God's healed me from that. I'm so grateful for that. I mean, there's still times I need to stretch and overdo, but I'm so grateful that in his presence, fellowshipping with the Lord, there's healing. Amen? And, and you can begin to worship other things. They begin to get your attention. They begin to pull on you. You can worship the doctor's report. You can start, and when we say worship, this is what it means. Really, it means to prostrate yourself. Proskuneo is the, the Greek word, proskuneo, and it means to forward with a kiss, but also to lay prostrate before, to, to lay down before that, to bow, essentially to bow under that is what that word means. So when you're worshiping other things, you're, you're bowing to symptoms, you're bowing to the news, you're bowing to what other people are saying, you're giving heed and homage to that instead of to the Lord. And we've been made to worship. And so you, you can tell what you're reverencing. Where, do you, where are you spending your time? What are you feeding on? What are you listening to? 
And you might say, well, I don't worship that stuff. Well, you're, you're giving heed to it. You're bowing to it. You're submitting to that report. You're submitting to what they're saying. You're submitting to that news. You're submitting to that gossip. You, you submit yourself or I submit myself to that. And, and something starts getting flipped up on the inside. He said he alone deserves worship and reverence. He's number one. He's to be glorified. He's to be honored. And so when we come into worship, and we're able to shed that other stuff and say, no, it's written. I'm going to worship God alone. He's going to be number one. I'm reverencing him. I'm bowing to him. I'm yielding to him. And we surrender to him. That's where we see and sense his authority and his power. Anybody with me this morning? Because that, that surrender is a sign of receptivity. It's a sign of just submission, Lord, to your plan, your will, to your grace. Lord, I bring myself under that this morning, under your, what you have said, under your promises, that's, that's part of the connection and worship. And believe me, it was with an urgency a few times this week as I was praying in the spirit, I just sensed the Lord saying, my people are gonna need to know like never before how to connect with me and stay connected to me for what's ahead, amen? So that submission's important. So how about signs of it? Again, can't judge people's hearts, but when I look around and, and see us worship, you know, some of us come from different traditions where raising our hands is uncomfortable. How many remember the first time you raised your hand, you thought, everybody's looking? Everybody's looking at me. So it was this. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just surrender to you, God. And little by little, when you care less about what people think and more about connecting with God, there's a liberty that comes that's so good. And I'm not saying it always has to be this way, you know, when we're worshiping, but there's a freedom that comes when we surrender to him. And one of those things is our hands up and our hands open to receive from him, but also offering things up to him. Here's when, when Solomon had finished praying. His entire prayer and supplication to the Lord, he rose before, before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread towards heaven. And so when we look at definitions of worship and the components of worship, this is a classic one where he was on his knees, prostrate before the Lord. And, and just with his hands open towards heaven, his hands up to receive from heaven. It's, it's, it's one of the signs. It's one of the practices of worship. And so I, I just, again, exhort us that have been around a long time, and we listen to the songs over and over, and, you know, been there, done that kind of thing that pops into our hearts and our heads. No, there's still something about just if you're not bowing on your knees, you're bowing in your heart, and your hands are open, and your heart's open, and you're just saying, God, I just need to connect to you this morning. I can't be far from you, Lord. I, I need your presence. I thank you that you've made a way. My sins have been washed. I don't have to hide from you. I don't have to cower from you, Lord. I could come boldly to you this morning and worship you and receive from you and give back to you what's due you. That connection is so vital for us. And that's why in Matthew 25, the parable of the 10 virgins, where, where Jesus tells this parable, it's about last days. He said, five will be empty and five will be filled with oil. Five will keep their oil. And to the ones that have just wasted their oil and weren't stewards over that, there, there's a condemn, condemnation that comes with it. It's kind of, depart from me. I didn't know you. But there's a group that stay filled. There was a group that said, Lord, bridegroom's coming. I'm filled. I'm ready to meet you. I'm ready to see you. Lord, fill me up again. I need to stay connected to you. Anybody with me? Anybody get it this morning? I know I'm preaching stuff that some of you are walking in. You're practicing it. And praise God for that. To those that haven't, well, we can rise together. Amen? 
Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. And we sang about that this morning. And the oil of joy for mourning. And then he's given us this, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You know, our, our friend I shared last week, Ron Salisbury, he's a friend to many, went home to be with the Lord and uh, hit me a couple times this week just because we're close and camped and just great memories in that, just grief, trying to settle on us. All of us have gone through that. All of us have experienced loss. But I've thought about this passage several times this week. There's something about a garment of praise that we can put on. There's, there's something about praise that we can just clothe ourselves in praise and I can thank God for good memories and good times and, and fruitful things. I can thank God in a garment of praise that Ron Salisbury, I don't know what he's doing in heaven, but still, he's only been there a week. I'm sure he's having a blast. There's instruments we haven't even dreamed of and songs that we, we, we have never even heard that he's partaken of. And I can see him in his adventurous spirit seeking out secret places the, this, the, the secret place is there. And so when we get there, he's going to be able to show us around a little bit. And, and the, this garment of praise, I have to put it on when things get heavy. And it's a gift from God. It's a cloak that we can put on the praise of what he's done and the praise of what he's promised and the praise of what's before us. And so he's invited us to do that in the season we're in, in the heaviness and the things that keep coming left and right, those things, to be able to just to clothe yourself in praise when things get heavy and be able to turn upward and begin to just give those things to God and to bless the names of the Lord and to thank God for who he is. It's such a vital, vital thing. And this is what he said. He's given us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they, that's us, may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. We talked about the roots of worship the last few weeks. Well, this thing about the garment of praise and beginning to praise him, it just sinks our roots in deeper. When we begin to praise, you know, like trees now in drought, their roots are going down for water. Their, their roots are reaching for water because it's been so dry. And I know when I begin to praise, my roots reach for water. There's a river of life that flows. There's a river that can sustain me. There's a river that can encourage me. And when I put on the garment of praise, I know my roots are going for that river just to, to, that it would flow through us and in us. Amen, church? Amen. Here's another example of just how we worship and, and what we do. And this is what Paul exhorted Timothy. He said, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up what? Holy hands without wrath and dissension. So this is what I want. He's given instructions. Timothy's pastoring the church at Ephesus. Every church has got issues. Every church has got challenges because they're filled with people. And so there's always issues. And, and he said, this is one of the cures for when issues come, when heaviness, dissension, when stuff comes. I want you guys just to lift up holy hands and pray. I want you to go vertical. I want you to go vertical and put your eyes on me and things that are surrounding you and challenges. You just begin to pray. Put your hands up and begin to pray without wrath, without dissension. I like what the psalmist said, bless me, the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. The spiritual wars we fight, they're not going to be with bows and arrows and guns and AK-47s. The warfare we're fighting is usually a spiritual thing. It's usually heaviness that comes, an oppression that tries to creep in, a discouragement that, that starts you know, eating at you. 
And you and me, we got the ability to raise our hands before him and just begin to worship him and, and praise him and surrender to him. And the psalmist said, it's, it's you, God, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. It's not a physical fight. It's spiritual. That we'll be able to yield to him and catch that frequency of heaven to hear his voice and to commune with him and to be able to offload that stuff and receive fresh grace from him. Amen, church? That's part of the blessing, the gift of worship. And I know I just, scriptures were just popping in my head and my heart as I was putting this together, but this is another one why we worship. And the truth is you become what you behold. You, you become, even in worship, what you begin to focus on starts filling your heart. It'll fill your heart, whatever you focus on. If you're into the political debate and, and the scheming back and forth, which I'm, I know we need to be cognizant of these things and knowledgeable and vote with intentional hearts and all that, but if you just fill your heart and your head with just the political ranting and raving right now, it, it'll impact you. If you just focus on you know, the, the, the wars, this ISIS, the things that are going on, if you fill your heart with that stuff, I'm telling you, it, it'll get a grip on you. And not that we stay ignorant of any of those things, but I know how just the enemy would attack with that stuff. I, I woke up in the middle of the night, going back over, we, when it took us seven years to get approval for this building, multiple hearings with the planning commission, the board of supervisors, there's contention. There were some things that were done, I feel, illegally. And I was in a knot over some of that stuff. And now that's all, we've been in this building now, what, since we've been 16 years? No, not quite, 11 years now in this building. And this morning in the middle of the night, I woke up thinking about contending with the county over this building again. And I felt the anxiety and all the knots and, and the EIR, no, we've already put 20,000 in a water report, you didn't even read it, and all, all that stuff. Middle of the night, bloop, there it is again. I'm waking up going, where did that stuff come from? Where did that stuff come from? Father, I thank you for peace. That was my heart. Lord, I thank you for peace. The enemy's not going to mess with me. I'm talking about worship in the morning. I had to work all that stuff through. Those thoughts just pop out of nowhere that were sourced from other things. And so you and me, you, you become what you fill your heart with. And here's the promise. Now, where the, the, the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's what? There's what? Liberty. There's liberty, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. So this idea that when we get in the word of God, and we begin to see who he's called us to be and what he's promised us to be, and we begin to meditate on that, and, and that becomes our reflection. We're, we're meditating on, on what he said, promises. Old things passed away. I'm a new creation in Christ. We behold those things, and we behold who he is, not the broken, just crucified Jesus, but he's the resurrected son of God. There's fire in his eyes. There's, there's an anointing on him. When we behold those things, it changes our hearts. It transforms our hearts. Amen? And so this is what the Psalm, or the, uh, Paul said here, that when you behold those things, you're, you're changed. You're changed from glory to glory. You're changed. And I don't know about you. There's times when I get stuck, I need to be changed. Amen? There's times when I get stale, I need to be changed. There's times when I get stubborn, I need to be changed. And one way to do it is inviting the Spirit of God and looking upon Him and keeping our eyes towards Him. Amen? So this is, this is the last psalm, and I'm going to close with this. And this was a psalm of Asaph. 
And, and Asaph's part of a tribe, his family, the family of Asaph, they were some of the worshipers, this tabernacle that was going through the desert. It was, it was their job to maintain it. So he comes from a long line of worshipers, and he wrote some of the Psalms. And this is one of the Psalms he write, wrote. And historians say, if you read all of Psalm 73, it starts out like many do. He's, he's just bummed out about injustice. And he's bummed out saying, why does it seem like the, the unrighteous prosper? Why do these scoundrels seem like they're getting ahead and us that have been faithful to God, it, it just seems like sometimes it's unfair. Bad things are happening to us and those guys seem to get away with stuff. I know that never goes through your mind. That why, why, you know, I'm trying my hardest, God, and why is it like obstacle after obstacle? And so the psalmist here, Asaph, he writes this psalm, but he comes to the end of it and he says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You'll guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish this is what was in my heart this week several times. Those who are far from you, Lord, those who've distanced themselves. I moved from being an altar boy up the front to sitting in the back making jokes in the choir loft. My, my faith as a kid went from reverence and not understanding it all, but had, had a love for God. And gradually, my, my love began cold and drifted and drifted, and I end up as a cynic in the choir loft. And soon after that, I departed. And, and the psalmist says, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. Read that line with me. But it is good for me to draw near to God. Come on, read it again. But it's good for me to draw near to God. I've put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. A, a psalmist who begins and says, I look around me. This doesn't seem fair. It looks around me and there's just things going wrong here and there and even my good friends that serve, I don't know why these things happen. And his heart begins to get bitter, and he feels himself draw back. But then at the conclusion, he says, no, it's good for me to draw near to God. And worship times, it's good for us to draw near to God. Amen? In times of just coming together corporately, it's good for us to draw near to God.